Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you from the little house on the east side in Saratoga. Got to have one of those super fun annual experiences last night, that first trip in to Saratoga for the meet. You get you get a lot of magical uh, feeling in your digits as you're heading up here if you care about horse racing. And of course, that's our business on this show, to care about horse racing. And we've got uh, the usual crew who I'll introduce first, my co-host in so many things related to In the Money Media, going to be spending his first full summer at the spa the people's champion, Jonathan Kinchin. JK, how are you? 14,944 furlongs is how far it is from Austin, Texas to, uh, to Saratoga. So we uh, we made it happen, me and my uh, partner in crime, Austin. We, we traveled through uh, seven different states. We, we uh, got to stay with some, actually with some guests that have been on the show before. We stayed at Marshall Graham's, went to dinner with Clay Sanders. We uh, stopped by in Lexington, messed with the Prince of Keelan for a little while. And then uh, hit a little home run derby, finally made our way up here. Very, very cool. Not the derby we normally associate you with, JK, but happy happy that you were able to get that done. We will also bring in, coming off a very busy couple of days at the Phasing Tipton sale, Windstar's Sean Tugel. Sean, what's up? Certainly jealous that both you and and JK are already up in Saratoga, especially with this sweltering 100-degree weather we have here in Lexington, that lake that nice cool lake breeze sounds pretty good right now and i certainly know that feeling of when i hit albany and head north and and start to know that i'm i'm awfully close to saratoga and uh that's a pretty special feeling special place so can't wait to get there here in about a couple weeks all right and now we're going to bring in our special guest for today's show he is the racing manager for ashbook farm bo bromagen bo how are you today yeah, I'm doing good. I'm excited about Saratoga as well, but I'm just trying to get to this interview first. <laughs> well, that's funny you should mention uh, uh, the, 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 the concept of being interviewed, because that's where my first question lies. I was watching the NBC coverage on Saturday when Concrete Rose uh, once again stamped herself as the leader of this division, and I saw Brittany Erton interview you afterwards and while it was undeniable that your body at that point was at beautiful Belmont Park I'm not quite sure where was your brain at that point <laughs> I, I can't be sure exactly it's, it's a little hazy in retrospect at this point I was so excited I'm, I wouldn't focus on much at all <laughs> you seemed rightly incredibly uh floating somewhere above the stratosphere uh, talk about yeah, that race about right. talk it through from your perspective well the race itself i'm you know we we went into it really competent actually she's been doing so good like i said on the interview with NBC sports she's become a different horse she became a three-year-old her self-confidence is up but you know she's just <clears throat> she's just got this I, I, I i'm not sure what the word is other than self-confidence where she just wants to go and she knows she's good she acts like it we knew we had something going into that race, but obviously you look around, you see who you're running against and, and there's some heavy hitters in there. So as confident as we were, you know, there, there are a lot of threats out there, but as so she broke well, and then we saw those fractions on the front end. And frankly, when newspaper record came out rank as she did, I, I say I was overly confident, but I really liked our chances going down the back stretch there. I thought we were, we were in a really, really good spot. And obviously she, she kicked on home. That was beyond expectations as far as what, what I, I was looking for. Well, I'm curious if you could take us back to, to uh, this time last year 
Um, she didn't debut until August, but uh, what, what did you think you had? I know you got her at Phasic Tipton. Tell us a little bit about you know that purchase and, and how much you paid for and what you liked about her, but also kind of fast forward a little bit to, to last August and, and what you thought you had. Did, did you think you had a Belmont Oaks winner? What, what did you what, what did you think you had in the barn? Well, um, start at the sale. You know, obviously I saw her the first time at the Phasic Sale when she was breezing. I was sitting past the wire. Everybody else was at the grandstand. And her breeze wasn't spectacular. She was really green. Her head was cocked. Just just wasn't her thing that day. But she kind of settled into a rhythm as she hit the wire and came past me. And I didn't know that she was looking at the grandstand the entire stretch run. She came past me and looked great. So I think in that regard, I was just sitting at the right place at the right time. Um, and I think, frankly, that's how I could afford her at 61000 she was beautiful body. She had plenty of leg underneath her and really well balanced. She wasn't perfect in front, but nothing uh, that would turn anybody off to a certain degree. It's, you know, I look for horses that just aren't necessarily 100% correct because they're if they're outstanding athletes, they're perfectly correct, and they have grade one pedigrees all the way across the board, then, then simply I can't afford them. So <clears throat> once we stepped up to Saratoga, had her for a little while and we immediately knew we were sitting on some kind of talent obviously the Belmont Oaks yeah, it's tough to reject that far ahead um, you know going into her maiden when we th- there were a couple horses in there that were really nice horses I know Colt Snack had a um, I think it was an El Padrino that they paid like 300000 for that that was a real horse Wesley Ward had one in there that was really nice we thought we could compete. We weren't sure first time out. And to see what she did, we knew that we were on one. Bo, it's Sean. Just to kind of uh, continue talking about, about her and her progression, certainly she's a filly who has shown great. She's kept her form over two years, minus, minus one race in the Breeders' Cup, which for a two-year-old filly just to get there is an accomplishment. Uh, but outside of that is undefeated. What do you see her going forward? Obviously, you have the, the new series in New York. She seems like a versatile filly. Um, is there any discussion of maybe taking her to dirt at any point? Do you think she's strictly a, a longer distance turf filly, or could she be very successful at a mile? And then uh, certainly that feeling when you have a filly or a colt uh, leading at, at the eighth pole in a, uh, in a grade one is, is, is like no other feeling. But I can't believe what it would be like watching Aiden O'Brien coming down the lane chasing you and rooting one home. So I wonder if you could just talk about that feeling too. Yeah. Uh, you know, anytime you see Aiden O'Brien in the entry box, you're, you're going to take note of that. Um, they've been operating at, at the highest level. That That's them. They're at the top and they've been doing it for a long time. So um, certainly you, you take notice of them and I, you know, I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but yeah, it feels good to to finish in front of some people like that. You know what I mean? Like we're sure. we're a smaller operation. We don't spend the kind of money that these other people do, and so to have a horse that can compete, it's it's uh, very very rewarding. Now, projecting forward, the Naira series, the Turf series, it's seven hundred fifty thousand for each race. It you've got to look at those spots as as logical placement. Um, I, I don't. We had talked earlier on about maybe trying her on the dirt, but it's tough to change surfaces when she keeps winning the way that she does. 
And plus the money is so good. I'm not sure that, that, that there's any reason why we would want to shift over. Um, I think that she's, I mean, she's definitely a router, right? Um, I think she can get longer. I think that mom three eights in the club cutting back. You know, I think that I don't want to tell somebody else what to do with their horse, but that newspaper record would be very, very dangerous at a mile. So I, I would imagine, I don't know that we'd be able to get that quickness out like she did. I mean, obviously she beat us before at shorter distances, but I guess under different circumstances and different years. So, but I mean, you, you stretch out, you see what you can do and just hope for the best really. Yeah. Well, we'll find out if uh, Chad Brown's a listener of the podcast this week after, <laughs> after you gave that tip out, we'll see where she goes. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, expanding on another very instrumental member of your team and uh, certainly one of the best horsemen I get to see on the apron for, for the majority of the year at Keeneland, but uh, Rusty Arnold, and I know you and your family have had a, a long association, but maybe just expand upon Rusty and, and uh, his horsemanship and, and uh, you know, just his ability to, to get the most out of these these horses and and keep them sound and keep them in a campaign. Well, yeah, my, you know we have been with Rusty Arnold since the mid '80s, actually. Um, and I think that the first thing that my dad really appreciated about Rusty is his uh, his upfront honesty. His he's going to tell you how it is, and there's no <clears throat> no fluff about it. You know what I mean? It's just he's going to be straight. But his horsemanship, I think, is, is, I mean, as good as anybody. He's out there every single day. He's got a lifetime of experience. His father was a trainer as well. Uh, I think his, his focus, and I don't want to speak for him, but I think his focus really is on the individual horse. You know what I mean? It's not a factory, so to speak. He changes things for each individual, pays attention to how things are going, and he'll switch things up if, if he thinks they need to happen, you know? Um, I think he's very in tune to the individual. Um, so I think that when it comes down to kind of getting the most out of, especially our horses, um, he takes the time to kind of come up with individualized uh, training regimens and, and treatments and stuff like that, where where it really kind of it benefits him more than more than I could. I think that's a really interesting point for the horse players out there listening to, and different trainers and different. Uh, there are different styles and how they evolve. And it does seem like there, there are certain barns where it's a program and you you fit the program and you thrive or you don't fit the program and, and maybe you don't, you know, the, the, some of the larger outfits, maybe that's just, they're, they're just not too worried about that. They, they, they're worried about what they do well that can work, that can get their horses to compete at the highest level. And then you have operations that can afford to take, I don't know what the right word is, but maybe that more individualized, almost like boutique approach and be more hands-on and work with an athlete like Concrete Rose to get the most out of them that, that might not have passed some of the first checkpoints in a more of a, of a programmed approach. Do you think that's fair to say, Bo? Yeah. You know, I think obviously the stable size has something to do with it. You know, you, it's just tough to look at every You know, if you have 300 horses or more, and it's tough to, to see them every day. It just can't happen. You know what I mean? I think that when you're a smaller stable – you've got to do what you can with each individual so that you can compete every single time, you know, I'm not sure I'm explaining this correctly, but uh, yeah, it, it's just, how do you get the most out of each horse? Because that's how you stay competitive in the long term. I mean, as, as far as a business. 
you talked about the family angle with Rusty. I want you to talk a little bit more about your own family angle and growing up around the business and getting away from the business and coming back to the business. I think that's a really interesting trajectory. I'd love for you to speak a little bit more about how that worked for you. Uh, well, my father had been racing horses since the, the early 70s, if not the late 60s. Um, and growing up, I mean, we used to take Friday afternoons off of school to go to Keeneland. You know what I mean? We had we had horses running. I have I have wind pictures actually. My mother is holding me as a baby, and Rusty Arnold is the the wind trainer. And all. That's so, um, I mean, it's obviously something I grew around or grew up around. But strictly, it was it was just racing for us. You know, a lot of people grew up in the breeding business or um, or otherwise. But for me, it was strictly racing. And so. I went away to high school and college, and there are no racetracks that I'm aware of in upstate New Hampshire. <laughs> um, Where did so you go? It was a smaller school called Tilton School. Okay. And then college in San Antonio, which we had Rotama Park, and we used to go out there, and we used to we used to pull down some some trifectas just so that we could afford to eat during the week. Those <laughs> nice little supplements. But um, after I graduated. I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. You know, I, I had a general business degree. Um, I was actually waiting tables in Idaho just to spend the summer. And I was actually looking at like construction management in New Orleans. And then <clears throat> while I was working, we had a, my dad bought a horse. Uh, David and Gordo bought the horse for my dad to send to Rusty in July. And it's made the first time out at, at uh, Arlington Park won the um, Breeders' Futurity at Keeneland, and I made more money on that particular race than I had working all summer long. <laughs> so <clears throat> I mean, the thrill of pulling that in, not to mention just the, the enjoyment of having a horse win in a big stage like that, you know, you just get caught up in it. It's intoxicating. And so it, it just reminded me, what I loved about it growing up. Bo, I know that, that uh, initially it was just Ashbrook, and, and if you look at the racing line now, you'll see uh, BBN is also involved. Tell us a little bit about that group, and then while I got you and I got the mic, I also wanted to ask you what, where we're going to find this next concrete road. Where, where's the next <laughs> sale you're going to be getting involved in? At, uh, well, for BBN, um, it's a partnership. I mean, it started kind of with a couple guys out of New Jersey and New York, um, they were friends with Vicky and Phil Oliver, uh, while they were training at Monmouth. Actually, the, the guy that put it together is a guy named Brian Klasky, who went to Skidmore College in Saratoga. Nice. And he grew up, uh, down the street from Monmouth. And if I remember this correctly, I might get the facts a little bit off. <clears throat> but as a 21 year old up there, he bought a bar and was not involved in horse racing at all. But everybody would come in there to have it on the TV and, you know, just the excitement of Saratoga kind of got him interested. So he started hanging around Monmouth as he, as he grew, grew older and then became friends with Vicky and Phil. And they wanted to put together a partnership. And we just happened to have a horse that broke its maiden first time out in Saratoga. So they approached us about getting in. We found the right kind of terms. And it's been a fantastic partnership sense i mean these guys it's a lot of first-time owners 
and their excitement is it's so contagious. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just as rewarding as anything is seeing the smiles on their faces. Um, in addition to my own. We talk about so, that. We talk about that um, all the time. Deviant, yeah. you know, it's worth more than money. You know, there's experiences you have in this game that are worth so much more than money. And that's one of the things that, that attracts us to it. And, I, the Jersey connection, the Jersey-New York connection was evident. I mean, big blue nation, fellow Giants fans. I always appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, they're, like I say, they're all just so excited about it. And they're, they're just incredible people. They're, not, they're fun to be around. You can just see the enthusiasm in the winner's circle. Um, it just, just makes you want to keep going and do better for them. So, I mean, we are looking for the next one. You know, we, we – Opened up a round two of the partnership this year. We're going to buy a couple of yearlings. We might try and buy something off the track. Um, we're reloading. Well, certainly to, uh, we saw that, that enormous uh, winter circle filled up with a great, great. It was just a great snapshot of, of friends and family and people having a great time and, and what it's all about. And, uh, but there was one individual I did not see in the wind photo. I, I I was very surprised that we didn't see pipes make the uh, quick uh, <laughs> shot up the uh, expressway and see you in the Big Apple. You know, I, having that get around is just is an experience in and of itself. Um, <laughs> if it were up to me, I would drag him to every race we ever had a horse in. Uh, so I mean, yeah, I know he's he's busy working hard. He's he's got a book for a jack down there, so. They can't make them all, I guess, but uh, hopefully we can get in there for Saratoga. Uh, could you just imagine a pipe? Too. Could you imagine a, a night out on the town after grade one with pipes, deuce, and bow? Oof, that would that would have been a story in itself, I bet. Um, somebody's <laughs> gonna go to jail, I guess. A lurid, a lurid novel is that is how I'm seeing that one unfold, Sean. But for for the uninitiated, pipes uh, has been a frequent guest on the In the Money Show. He's our regular Travers guest, giving out. Uh, scads of winners on there, Chris Pippito, and he's also been, uh, a, 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 when pressed, a, a little bit of a babysitter for Perrin at the Paddock Bar. I, I like to tell the story of, you know, I had to go <laughs> run an errand and, and see somebody, and I, I came back 15 minutes later, and he had her tripping laurel. So, you know, he, he's, he's, got, he's got a lot of clubs in his bag, that, uh, that Chris Pippito. Well, one that you guys might be overlooking here is that actually – I mean, Chris has got like encyclopedic knowledge of anything horse racing. And actually he works with me or has worked with me in the past at sales because it's instant recall with him. So we'll be looking at horses. I'll see a horse on the pedigree, on the pedigree page. I'll say, Chris, who trained us? What happened? And he'll just recite it off. <laughs> he is uh, invaluable at the sales actually. And he had a lot to do with uh, picking out concrete rows with me. Oh, fantastic! That's that is really that is really great. What we were talking about this a little off air, but let's do it on air. What is your Saratoga schedule, Bo? When will we see you up here? Well, we're I'm obviously coming up for the phasing sale, uh, and the Saratoga Oaks is on August second, so I'll be there uh, the week before, and then the following week. Now we've got some other runners up there, so I think I'll be taking a couple trips. Um, just for the weekend or a few days here and there. A couple horses also want to see on the backside. So I'm not sure when those are. Play it by ear and make last-minute reservations. But uh, I'm as much time up at Saratoga as possible. 
All right. Imagine it's been an important part of uh, your life uh, to the, to this point. When was when was your first trip up here? Oh, I, I was a kid. I'm not even sure how old I was. Um, probably four or five. I have like a vivid memory of walking through the state park there with those big old pine trees. Yep. Um, but that, I mean, as far as the racing goes, it's it's you know kind of blurs together as a kid, but. Um, yeah, that, that was the earliest memory I have is I can remember those pine trees and walking through those and playing with them. Legendary Avenue of the Pines in Saratoga State yeah. Park, where they have all the great concerts and uh, various other terrific activities. All right, Bo, we're going to let you go. Appreciate your help very much today, and we look forward to seeing you in uh, a couple weeks' time. Yeah, thank you, fellas. I appreciate the call. All right, that was a lot of fun. I He was just... The, watching him on Saturday after the race, I, it was such a good decision by the the director to to, to stick him on TV because you just you just don't get to see people that excited in this life that often. And and I really appreciated it and was picking up on all the positive energy he was sending out there. And it was great to get a chance to sit down and chat with him, Sean. The the best part, or real quick, Sean. Sorry. The best part is we're on a group text together. And so a bunch of people were telling him, congratulations, congratulations, boom, bang, boom, congratulations, <laughs> memes, all types of things. And he texts he text back, what happened, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it looked like. It looked like he wasn't even there. He was so happy. It was fantastic. All right, Sean, uh, we got a couple of things left to do on the show. We want to talk a little bit about some of these baby races that have drawn at the spa on the first two days as we record this Wednesday afternoon. We just have Thursday and Friday. But I wanted to hear a little bit more about the sale that we uh, did some previewing of last week. How did it go in general? What were some of the headlines? How did you guys make out? Uh, well, to recap a little bit from last week on the racehorse um, sale that, that both Bradley Wiseboy with Elite and, and then ourselves at Windstar having consignments there, um, it, went, it went very well, I thought. I thought um, for horses that had a lot of conditions, um, had, had solid form, had stakes form, um, I thought that there was, there was quite a few very nice trades going on there. I thought... Um, saw a lot of foot traffic which was good we were busy throughout our two days of showing right up to the sale um and then i i thought maybe i don't remember this in years past but it did look like people were willing to kind of step up to the plate a little bit more on on some fillies that that necessarily didn't have a lot of race left in them more broodmare prospect types early you know it's not always in july when people are, are out there trying to buy, buy broodmare prospects per se at sales so i think that also helps um boost up up some sales there on the Philly and, and give some people some confidence on on some Phillies that maybe um, you know weren't going to get through the rest of the campaign this year and we're going to end up in a breeding stock sale at the end of the year but maybe they can go ahead and, and cash in their chips in July and, and and not have to wait for another six months so we'll see how all that works out but I thought it was good trade and then certainly the yearling sales basically uh, figures were very, very close to what they were last year for Phasing Tipton. So it certainly um, looked like they, they put on a very good sale, a sale full of very good physicals. Um, and certainly everybody got to see their first views of a lot of these uh, exciting first-year uh, freshman sires that have their first yearlings. Uh, you know, the Kentucky Derby winner, uh, Nyquist, the Met winner, Frosted, had nice ones, uh, Exaggerator was well represented and and another horse of ours you know outwork a son of uh 
Uncle Mo, who was the very first son of of uh, Uncle Mo to to win a race at four and a half furlongs, and went on to be a Grade One winner at a mile and eight. He uh, he blew it out of the water. He had a hundred seven thousand average. He uh, he had ten cell. Uh, so I mean that's a that's a really re- I think that really impressed upon people, and he made a great impression to people. Um, you know, it wasn't just one horse that that stood out for him that helped boost up his average. He had ten horses that all brought a hundred thousand plus um for a fifteen thousand uh, dollar stallion that's that's awesome and it just shows a great uh, consistency to his offspring so far so very excited about that and then we've been uh chomping at the bit to to get these spitesters out there in front of everyone i think this could be the next really dominant superstar stallion out there with his pedigree and his his brilliance that he had on the racetrack and he certainly didn't disappoint and had a leave it 147,000 uh, average for his first sale with yearlings. So very excited about those. And, uh, the overall feeling was, uh, there was a lot of excitement, a lot of happy, you know, you saw a lot of pin hookers out there and trying to reload for this coming year. So, uh, is always kind of, uh, where you dip your toe in the, in the water and see what the market's going to be for this year. And, and, uh, all the right people were there and they're, they're spending money. So, uh, looks like positive signs for the industry as a whole going into, uh, the exciting September and Delmar meets. All right, let's. That's a great recap. We appreciate that. Let's move on to doing some handicapping, and we're going to start off with the first baby race of the meet, which goes as race number five. It is a maiden special weight for state-bred uh, two-year-old fillies. And since Sean just did that whole recap, J.K., I'm going to make you talk about this race first from a horse player point of view before we bring in Sean to talk about it maybe with a little more of a, of a bloodstock eye. Do you have a selection in this race? How, how, how much have you gone through it to this point? Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to lean towards a firster in here. Um, you know, Wesley's horse loved me tomorrow was bet pretty heavily on debut at Belmont. Didn't really pick up. And, and I tend to kind of work away from Wesley Ward as a horse player uh, the further away we get from April. I think that he fires all his big guns early. The ones that are, are just kind of coming around either had issues or maybe weren't progressing uh, at the level that he wanted him to. Those are all, that's all speculation. And so he still gets bet though in these two-year-old races. So I kind of try to work away from him. Love me tomorrow is another one that I would imagine will be bet. Uh, the Asmussen horse ghost, ghost, ghost makes sense. I uh, want to check out the workout reports uh, for these horses. Um, our friend uh, at Glencrest, Glencrest Farm, we mentioned earlier on the show, um, Deuce, uh, great house, obviously, with Aubrey Tate named after his daughter. I would imagine that if you name one after your daughter, the thing <laughs> might run a little bit. Uh, I, I'm not going to name a slow one, Austin Michael. I can promise you that. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I think that one will be interesting. But, you know, it's, it's there's also some kind of some newer sires I'm excited about watching, and I'll probably let – Sean cover those a little bit more, but Central Banker, Bayern, I'll be honest, I had to look up Rule by Night and, and find out who that uh, who that stallion was. It was a horse that Asmussen had that uh, didn't have the most impressive resume, but good to see he'll have an opportunity at another career. Sean, what are, what are some of these that you might have, have some insight on or, or know anything about? Um, well, you know, it's kind of interesting because uh, the congrats, the homebred for Tom Albatroni, very – uh, interesting to see him have a first-time starter already entered in the entry box, but uh, that's someone I, you know, going back, Tom and I, we had conversations about this mare to breed to this stallion, so I'm going to be kind of rooting for him 
uh, to pull through. Uh, I think Mission Impossible for a New York bred race certainly is always dangerous. Um, and I think probably the horse for me, if I was looking at one to, to zero in on, would be the uh, Jeremiah Englehart, who uh, looks to be having a really good spring turn into summer and uh, has already had quite a bit of success with two-year-olds this, this season already. Do you think there's a chance that the 12 to 1 of the morning line might materialize on Impassable Donna Sean? I mean, the numbers are pretty darn impressive for these Mission Impassables first out, something like 17% uh, two year old debut winners. I would think a horse might draw money just based on that. I think on the, on the pedigree side, you would think that. But then I think, um, you know, a lot of times necessarily. Um, you might be looking at trainer stats, and Bruce Levine wouldn't have uh, the gaudiest first-time-out stats. So but this could be an example where the horse and the pedigree is taking the horse to this spot, and, and you know, a lot of trainers will tell you good horses, you just stay out of their way. So um, maybe this is, this is something where it's, uh, it's mission possible, the, the, the breeding's precocious horses that run early, and, and this filly just, just fits that profile, and and uh, Bruce Levine, who's a very capable trainer, is, is keeping her sound and healthy and getting her to the races. So um, I don't know how much it, it gets cut down, but uh, I do think if you're looking at it from a breeding standpoint, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I will say I am a, I'm a inveterate board watcher in these maiden races, these two-year-old races up here. I feel like very often, though not always, that will dovetail with the best of the quote-unquote inside info or clocker info I I hear. It will typically when there's in, that quote-unquote inside information and our, uh, our, our uh, horse-playing compatriot Garrett Skiba gets so upset about the two-year-old, don't bet two-year-old races, there are benefits for insiders. I feel like the same information that an insider has can be evidenced in a smart reading of the tote board in these races. JK, do you think I'm overstating that? Do you, do you see it more like me or do you see it more like Garrett Skiba? Uh, no, I, I love these races. I think that, that I think that because of Garrett's attitude, there's actually some equity here. If you, if you can pay attention to, to the tote board. Now it's tough. It's tough if you want to play the early pick five, right? Because this is yeah, I get fifth that. race and you're not going to be able to see that. Um, but with, you know, with the workout reports that are that are available, I don't see any issue uh, getting some additional information. All right, let's move along to the eighth race, the Schuylerville, looking at two-year-old fillies once again. These ones have had a run, but I think for the purposes of our show – and uh, from a breeding perspective, this is one that's worth talking about. And we do have a first-time starter um, in the mix as well. Sean, what leaps out to you when you look at this race from either a breeding or horse-playing perspective? Um, well, I think there's a, there's a couple in here that were certainly very impressive first time out and only having basically one race to work with for most of these and, and some of them being very – uh, impressive inbreak in their maidens. A horse that uh, jumped out the screen to me um, from off its first race was, a, was Comical shipping in for Doug O'Neill, who has a, a pretty good record um, shipping in and winning two-year-old races. I, I, I comes to mind some of the Redham horses that shipped in and won the hopeful before and won the Champagne and and this was a this was a filly that uh, was raised at Windstar. So uh, big deep family here. Um, and something else that jumped out when this maiden broke, broke her uh, maiden was, was an interesting, you know, it's about the same time around um, 
Mr. Money was 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 winning his races and kind of jumping out and, and, and showing his prowess. And he's a golden sense out of a Tisnow mare. This is an end of mischief out of a Tisnow mare. Maybe that's a new mix that's uh, going to help uh, get that end of mischief line, you know, carrying some some speed and distance a little further. Uh, but I thought that was a very impressive horse first time. Certainly, uh, Wesley is always dangerous with two-year-olds. Uh, Aurelia Garland has been pointing for this spot for the last two months. Um, so, you know, I think she's going to be primed and ready. Constitution himself has gone off to an unbelievable start as a freshman sire this this uh, this year. This was a TD and rising star. And certainly on the outside, um, can't overlook uh, Johnny V and Todd Fletcher in this spot with their in the mischief. Um, I think, uh, and I love the name. I love the the mayor's name is spin the bottle and the, and, and the horse's name is kiss the girl. I, I think that's the best <laughs> name for I've seen all year. That is great. Name of the day stuff for our friends at the Saratoga special. And I, I love just speaking of it. They didn't use it to make a, a pun with the name, but, uh, what a great name for a gambler to see the damn case ace. I assume they say it case ace, like the poker term, as opposed to KC, like it might be written or you would know. Actually, it's uh, Casey was was Mr. Kasner's um, daughter who was who was killed, oh. and so it's Casey Ace. And uh, so the, when you see the Casey that was is on the side of the Windstar Silks, that's for her. So it's, it'd be named after his daughter. Oh, I apologize for my ignorance there, but that's an amazing story to to share with the listeners. J.K., what are you seeing when you look at this race? Well, I mean, I thought this is going to be a reminder of, of, of uh, West Coast dirt sprinters coming out east, an early reminder, an often reminder that I, I think we'll get. And Bob Baffert, I'm sure, will find a way to remind us of it at some point. I liked that one, too. I liked Comical. But I thought that Chippy, this is a Doug O'Neill horse that's obviously new to his barn after the impressive win at Laurel, drawn down the inside, gets Jose, should go from down there, has speed. Um, and, and obviously has a lot of talent, I'd imagine. Uh, I've heard some rumblings of how much this one was. I don't know for sure, so I won't speak on it. But a, but a midshipman, um, Philly down here, I think she could be tough. But, I, Sean, can you tell us a little bit about midshipman as a stallion? Is I, I remember him um, sporadically as a racehorse. That was kind of when I was getting rolling. Um, how has he been doing? Is he one that, uh, that uh, can get a good horse? Midshipman is a uh, a very good racehorse sire. Like his, uh, he he's a very uh, economical horse in in the sense of breeding. I think he stands for fifteen thousand. But uh, if you wanted to breed to race, like he should be on everybody's uh, radar. But um, very good sire. He was a cha- He I don't. I think he was champion two year old. He won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, I believe, on the West Coast for Baffert. It was a Darley horse. Very good um, Philly sire. So this being a Philly race, uh, you know, I, last year he had, uh, was it Sassy CNI, I believe, was, was the midshipman. Um, but he's had, he's had multiple stakes winning Philly. So I do think he is probably a Philly sire um, so as, as opposed to a Colt sire. I just got a question on that, Sean, in terms of how much people look at data when it comes to making those kind of assessments or if it's more just like anecdotal that you get a sense of that that one sire is going to produce particularly well um, with one sex or the other 
Um, I think horses can get labeled, and there are some stallions that definitely their fillies will outperform their colts or vice versa. I do think sometimes we want to label horses as a filly sire uh, early. Two horses that come come to mind would be Tappet and um, and Medallia Doro. Early on in their career, they were uh, they had a lot of really good fillies. That's that's where they really made their mark. But as they've gotten more crops out there to populate, uh, they've come with 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 just as many high quality colts and as well. So. Um, you know, it it there it, it does come into play with some stallions, um, but uh, a lot of times when you at the end of the stallion's career and, and you and you get to look at their entire resume, it usually will 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 equal out. But um, but it's hard to kick the stigma when when they do label you as either a a colt or a filly sire. But uh, for for handicapping purposes, if you kind of um, you know, if you're looking at baby races and one sire hasn't necessarily thrown any good colts that you can think of or know of, then it's uh, certainly something that you can use as a, as a reason to, to either keep one on or keep one off. It's interesting, and hopefully that's a concept that will come up throughout the summer as we end up talking about a lot of these two-year-old races, first at Saratoga and then later at Del Mar. And the next one we'll talk about happens on Friday, and it's the fifth race. We are looking at maiden special weight Billy's going five and a half this time around. And, J.K., I'll throw it back to you for your thoughts on this one. You're going to throw it to me. I'm going to throw it to Sean. <laughs> Sean, this this Philly drawn on the rail, uh, Apurate, or I, I'm guessing Operate, I don't, I don't know how sure you say it exactly, but Summerfront, uh, I feel like this is one of the first runners I've seen from him. And I remember Summerfront was a grass horse, and this one's going to go five and a half on the dirt. What do you make of that? Well, certainly Summer Front is a uh, grass horse. And then just looking at, uh, on the formulator, just looking at some of the pedigree uh, notes. It's also uh, from the family of Azar, who's a turf horse, and Twilight Agenda, who's a, who's a top turf horse. So I would be thinking that this horse would probably be doing its best running on the turf when it finds it there. Uh, certainly there's been some very good turf horses that break their maiden on dirt, but... Um, Drawing down on the rail and looking at pedigree alone, uh, you wouldn't think that this horse necessarily um, would want this kind of trip. But um, going off of other two horses, I think um, the Munnings of Jeremiah's is certainly one uh, probably will go off favored unless I, I'm reading it incorrectly. And certainly that has the pedigree at the half to uh, a stake 22-year-old Avenue I, you might be able to pronounce it. Avenu Malkanu, come on! You you, you, you spent you spend time go. in New York. You should your Hebrew skills should be better. <laughs> uh, uh, but then you go to the six horse. Now this is a horse that that uh, certainly has the pedigree. Imp, who is uh, a very good producer in her own right, produced the uh, uh, Sprinter Sour. Um, it looks like a, a horse that's, that should be fast uh you know uh certainly you have to respect the claiborne farm connections um it's just i'm looking and over the past five years bill mott is 0 for 35 with juvenile juvenile debut runner so on pedigree uh certainly looks like a horse that that would like this spot um but it may need one to to see the best of it 
the sixth year back, of course, he had those two in one week. He'd had he'd had a long dry spell with the two-year-old, so that he had two in one week, and then it it, it, uh, it I guess the stat has gone back the other way. But it is that's a tricky one. I mean, where do you, what do you do, J.K., in a situation like that where you know the guy has won with these firsters at points, but typically doesn't do so well, but you respect him so much as a horseman. How do you? How do you reconcile? Does it make you tempted to just try to fade them, to include them defensively? Uh, how do you look at it? When it comes to trainer stats, I try to I, I try to back off of them and treat the horses like individuals because that's really what they are. They're individuals. But the trainer stats, when they're that strong, they can lead you down a path. Now, here's the here's the tricky answer to that, and I think some people look at me sideways. If the horse is five to two. And, and it's and it's trained by Bill Mott, then I'll fade the horse. But there's really you're not really gaining much if the horse is ten to one by including or using defensively because the horse is ten to one. Um, but if he's if the horse is over bet, then I'm gonna try to go a different direction based on the fact that he doesn't really win with firster. So that's that's kind of the, the the backwards horse player way I would go about it. It makes sense. For me, what I'll do there also is really try to clap eyes on them in the paddock and get a look just to see how how like race fit they look and there are times where I'll include one even if there's a negative trainer stat just because looking at the horse and trying to treat the horse as an individual you'll see you're you're looking at an athlete and at that point I'm willing to put the trainer stat aside and and I like your point you know a lot of times in maiden races we'll use the tote board and the ones who are getting bet you're going to give extra credence to but I tend to agree if there's a negative stat line and I go and look at the horse and it just looks like a horse and it's bet there might be an opportunity to fade from a betting point of view. When you hear horse players talk like this, Sean, from your industry point of view, does it is it like a different language or does it make sense to you? And how do you in your own betting use trainer stats? Um, it, it, it's certainly not foreign. You know, I think stats in general, you're always keeping keeping tabs on and, and it does help you. You know, it, it helps you on, on whose barns are hot, who's cold. I, th- I always think it's, it's good to know, though. You know, that's something also I was thinking about um, while, while you're talking, and I'm, I'm slowly making it through the book uh, that Mike Maloney wrote that, that you were so gracious to send me. Um, but, but taking notes on horses, this is something that I've really noticed. Um, is certainly, you know, Saratoga is where everybody comes together this time of year. Everybody likes to showcase their horses. Uh, but keeping track of some of these horses who run good races at Saratoga the Elmar areas, and then when they when when the meet's over and they get back to the Churchill Downs or the Keenlands or or even even Belmont when when everybody starts to spread back out, that's where you can really find some some great value plays on horses, especially that have had rough trips, or for some of these barns, especially some of the smaller barns that go to go to Saratoga for summer to try to compete. Um, those are the horses, you know, in in another five weeks that you can you can uh, I I I think. It's, this is a really key moment where taking notes and keeping notes and, and using virtual stables or race watch can really uh, help people. Well, and you know what? Let's make that a little project if we can. And it's going to depend because, you know, horses aren't going to necessarily be entered on a day where we have PPs to talk about the show. But let's all, as we all do anyway, but we'll be diligent about keeping our notes, especially when it comes to these two-year-old races. And maybe that's something we can talk about throughout the summer as some of these horses go on and maybe they're, they're, they're starting on the dirt, but we like them for the turf or, or vice versa. And bring that up the next time it comes through just as a, as a sort of an object lesson in how 
horse players and people in the breeding industry think about these things. We're just about out of time, but JK, uh, I, I understand why you dodged my initial question with your thoughts about this race to get Sean's expertise, but I did want to give you a chance to give a selection or at least uh, maybe half an idea before we get out of here. So I can't, do I was going to dodge it again. <laughs> you have no, no opinion. No. Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. I, I look, I want to look at the workout report. Obviously that's going to be a big part of it. Um, part of my opinion, uh, of my opinion building here. I mean, obviously, um, uh, the Jeremiah horse, the two good, that's probably another Hebrew word Shabbos. that I'm not going to mess Shabbos. up. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> um, you know, he's got the fastest last race. So obviously should improve off of that one. Went four and a half now going five and a half, got that, that race under the belt shows up here to Saratoga where he wants to win and gets Louis Sias who had an unbelievable Belmont meet. I think that one makes sense. Uh, a lot of ought makes sense for, for Steve Asmussen and, and Ricardo Santana. I love Ricardo on these young horses because he kind of gets them away from there clean and, and, and he's got the power to finish. Uh, and, and I think he's, he's really turned into a, a top notch rider. Um, my question with a horse like my last first kiss, um, who is, is the only one I think that shows up in here that was in a two year old in training. So, um, you know, we, we, I hear a lot of horse players talk about watching those videos and that's all great and dandy, but if you don't know what you're looking at, there's really no reason to watch them. Um, but my question is when it comes to that is Sean, what are some other clues that we can look at as horse players when we're looking at these two year old in training sales, how quickly, if they were bought in April, how quickly they'd get back on the track if they were bought in April, but then they haven't worked until June and just some of the, the, the hints and clues that you might look at, you know, probably not even noticing that you're noticing them uh, about horses that were coming out of two-year-old sales. Cause I know it's a completely different dynamic from a horse that was bought like a yearling sale the year prior. Yeah. Um, certainly price comes into play. Uh, you certainly, you wouldn't expect to see a lot of those really high, high priced horses show up straight out of the sale. So if you saw them kind of maybe have a month off in between the sale and then going to a steady work tab, that would be something normal. Um, certainly some of these more recent sales, the horses coming out of there, they've been in training a little bit longer. They're going to be fitter. So um, you would expect them to maybe just keep rolling on. Um, you know, some of it is, is certainly, um, you know, f knowing what sale they are, uh, with the phasic Miami sale at the very select sale, those are kind of not only are they, they're the, your kind of your best pedigreed horses, they're, they're probably your, some of your best physical horses. So, you know, horses coming out of that sale are supposed to be uh, the premier two-year-olds that were, that are offered. And then you go to horses, uh, other sales, maybe like the Maryland sale. Um, that's, that's a dirt sale. So horses coming off there, you know, they like dirt as opposed to an OBS sale where they're coming off synthetic. Um, so kind of knowing what sale they are and then just using your purchase price, um, and, and, and using it, um, as a tool, but not a guideline, you know, not a, not an absolute, like, cause just cause one's a $25,000 two-year-old doesn't mean that it was necessarily a bad two-year-old. You know, there's so many other things that have to come together to make it a really high priced, um, horse, you know, might just had a little, something on an x-ray report that, uh, you know, won't affect its racing, but, but, um, stopped an agent or somebody from, from buying the horse at the sale. So, um, it, it, it's, it's, I guess it's, it's probably educating yourself on exactly what sale it is 
and uh, does that, you know, and, and using that. Well, we're going to have to, that's another, we've had so many things come up this show. It's really our first foray into handicapping on the show. And that's another thing I want to come back to, Sean, because I know there's a lot we can learn there. And you talk about all the little things. I mean, Bo, just to bring this show full circle before we get out of here, how great of a story was that? That We talk about this in terms of finding horses at prices, that you know, if you just go for all the obvious stuff, the horse is going to be, you're never going to get a price. You have to have creativity. And the fact of where he was sitting to be able to see in Concrete Rose the athlete, something that others weren't able to see when she was acting a fool in front of the in front of the grandstand and to just to, to be in that right place and have that creativity to identify what could become a star it's just it's such an interesting world these uh, these two-year-old sales and why horses sell for the prices they do for me i'm master of the obvious i'll look at the stud fee and i'll look at the purchase price and when that purchase price is a heavy multiple at a two-year-old in training sale I give those horses a lot of extra credit. Is that oversimplified, Sean, or do you think that could be a tool in terms of helping you find winners? No, I, th- I think you hit it spot on there. Obviously, um, having having the the stud fee also available there, um, that you know, Indemister stands for one hundred fifty thousand as opposed to a Hainesfield that stands for five thousand. So when you see a Hainesfield bring a hundred thousand. Versus an a mischief that brings two hundred thousand, and, and just knowing the economics of it, um, as opposed to an end of mischief that's bringing nine hundred thousand, uh, like the filly out of Rosemont, Roaiton sister at, at June. Um, certainly, that just another uh, uh, tool to use for everything for everybody. All right, we got to get out of here. I want to thank Bo Bromagen. I want to thank Jonathan Kinchin. I want to thank Sean Tugel. Most of all, I want to thank you, the listeners for uh keep the comments coming keep the keep all the uh the back and forth going we've been really enjoying developing this new audience for this new show it's been a lot of fun this show has been a production of in the money media in the money media's business managers drew Cotney. i'm peter thomas fornital may the hammer drop your way